welcome back to Fidelity, a conversational show about the work of design. I'm joined by my partner in crime, John Rundle. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bill. How are you doing? <laughs> Good, man. You know, <laughs> John, something I noticed after working with you for about a year is oh. that you always come, like, I feel like you front load your day a lot. And it feels like a lot of your work happens early in the day, but mm, we're yeah. in different time zones. So I guess this is kind of kind of normal, right? I would usually log right. in around 8 a.m. Pacific. And by that time, you've like had a couple hours to actually like do some stuff. And yeah. what always surprised me is that by the time I log in, you've got like some kind of prototype <laughs> or design ready during Pacific time. So I guess you're a morning person. Is that true? I guess so. I think it's just like forced morning person though, because my, <laughs> when I was at Envoy, the, everyone was specific time. Right. Um, and so that was really the majority of my free time. So I think I just like slowly became a morning person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was like, Oh, well that's when I have the time to actually do the work. So I got to do it. Um, but it, I always, the funny thing that you were just describing, it's like, it's in the reverse of what it was like for me where like I would always, wake up in the morning to a bunch of stuff that like you or, or like someone else had done in their like late afternoon. True. You know what I mean? And then yeah. I'm like, Ooh, this is cool. And then, and then I could use my free time to like build off of that too, <laughs> which was kind of fun. So like the overlapping that way worked nicely. Do you like, do you get a lot of energy in the morning? Like you feel like that's the best time for you to work or are you also like, uh, you'll stay up late and do something and that's where you get your energy. Yeah, I mean, sometimes if I'm like really inspired, I'll I'll have a lot of energy in the evening. But I I, I do think actually I am more a uh, morning person that could get going right away mm-hmm. and can get into my ideas faster in the morning. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just like too tired and spent by the evening to want to do anything else. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I, about uh, you? Are you? I know you've been waking up earlier recently to have more heads down time. Are you? Are you trying to shift into that as well? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I've done some pretty like I guess atypical things to to becoming more a morning person. Um, I was like you know when my son was born, like I was up like yeah. all the time, right? Um, and then I just got into a rhythm of like getting up really early, like three or four in the morning, just to you know mm. feed my son a bottle, put him back to bed, and then like I'd do some work. Um, yeah. But I found recently because my wife started working again that. Like I've got to get up early and I've got to do all the work I can in the morning, early morning. And then I'll like be off at like two or three in the afternoon to go pick up my kid and, and you know, we'll, right. we'll spend the rest of the day together. Um, mm-hmm. So what I've had to do, and I don't know if you, you think this is crazy, but um, <laughs> I, I basically wear sunglasses during the last two hours of my day. So between like okay. six to 8 p.m., I wore sunglasses inside because I want to try to reduce all that light coming into my eyes. So I actually feel sleepy uh, at around yeah. eight and yeah. um, then I'll go to bed. And then the other thing too, is that I have this like tea every night, Valerian tea, and it just like knocks me out. Huh. So it, it, it's costly. Cool. I mean, some people think this is insane or rather it's, it's extreme, but like if I have a really bad night of sleep, I'm not getting up at four to, right. yeah. to work. And then when I get yeah. up at four, like I want to be like pretty focused, right. On like, doing great design work. Um, but it's worked for me. Like the sunglasses nice. at night, like I feel yeah, like such yeah. a, a bit of a, <laughs> a, a douche, like, but like, <laughs> cause I'll, I'll go, sometimes I'll go grocery shopping like yeah. at around seven or something. Right. I'll be in the grocery the store wearing sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love that. <laughs> anyway, that's smart though. I never really thought that the, like that, that would be an effective way of like helping simulate the fact that it's darker for a longer period of time. 
at that yeah. time of the day. That's interesting. I, I didn't think so either, but it definitely yeah. works. Like by the time I like put my yeah. head down on the pillow, like I'm I'm done, man. Like I'm ready to huh. go to bed. Which no, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Do you think that'll that'll probably change a bit once like the the evening light and stuff changes too, right? So it's getting darker earlier. I guess so. Yeah. Maybe it'll be more easy. Well, even I, I find even the light of like the kitchen kind of wakes oh, me up okay. a little bit. Yeah, so I'm just yeah. like I'm in the kitchen yeah. making a making a steak, and then I've got my right. sunglasses. On. Like, <laughs> I'm literally the coolest dad. Yeah, yeah, I mean, super cool. I'm <laughs> just gonna be like, man, my dad's so cool. He wears his sunglasses at night. <laughs> uh, not not very cool. I'm just I'm being sarcastic. If everybody thinks I'm I'm a bit of a tool wearing my sunglasses inside, but it works. Yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, so today I thought that. Uh, John and I would chat casually about presenting your design work. And as you may or may not know, if you've listened to us a little bit, uh, John and I don't script these things. So uh, each one is very often just like a long, hopefully useful ramble uh, stream of consciousness that, <laughs> that you're going to get some raw thoughts on, on like, you know, how to present. And, um, you know, these are things that have worked for us. And, uh, and if you're willing, John, maybe you could share a few things that, that haven't worked throughout some of these, these tips yeah. and pieces of advice. Um, and bear in mind that like, I think we're mostly very often trying to speak directly to junior designers, intermediate designers and students, but you know, I think whatever your level of experience, I, I hope some of these observations that we have are helpful. And the other thing to keep in mind is that each of these pieces of advice that we're sharing, there's, there's a sliding scale of effort that could be dictated by who you're presenting to. So what I mean by this is you're talking to just a you know group of designers, your coworkers, your peers, um, you're going to have a different level of effort for each of these areas as opposed to you're talking to your boss or your boss's boss about some of these decisions you're making. Well, there's a different level of effort involved in that. Um, so I, I'm going to kick us off with something that I've said before, and it's my... It's always my number one piece of advice. When you're presenting your work, before you present, I think you should write it out. And the sliding scale here is like, well, if you're talking to a bunch of your coworkers, maybe a few bullet points is sufficient. So you just have a good sense of like how to structure your, uh, your ramble about your work. And then the other side of the spectrum is like, well, maybe you're writing out the entire structure of a presentation. Um, I know, John, you, we were just talking about this before we started recording, but like, um, like, <laughs> I don't know if you, you do this, but I mm -hmm. tend to like on the other end of the spectrum of like talking to my boss's boss, the, the director level, I'm yeah. writing it out in pretty good detail. Like, how do you, how do you approach this? It's funny. I don't, I actually don't write it out that often. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I sound, feel terrible being the like against not the anti your advice, <laughs> no but no, I, I think, I think it is really important to do that. I, I just, I've found them for myself. Like even this goes back to my time in high school and stuff, doing presentations for school was just like, anytime if I wrote too much out, I would always be thinking more about the words I wrote than what, than stringing together oh. something on the fly. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just like naturally vibed more with like going on the fly because if I didn't, I would just be like, my mind would be preoccupied on like trying to remember the actual words that I wrote down. <laughs> and that would sometimes like get me distracted and I would like lose my train of thought. Sure. Even if the, even if what I had written down was actually like well-formed. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I've like I've just done that naturally. But on the flip side, though, like I, there are times where I do write it out a lot, and it's usually when I'm trying to put together a more focused um, bit of work for feedback, and that's usually in more of like video format. Like if yep. I'm sharing a video with leadership or something, I will definitely write out like a script for that video because I feel like it just it simplifies what I'm talking about. I guess what I'm describing would actually be helpful for a live presentation too. I just, I, I find it easier in video form because then you don't have to be worried about like engaging the person um, as much like as you would live, whereas you can record the audio separate and then like piece yeah. it together with what you're presenting. Um, so I definitely do it there. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of want to rip off of that actually. Like I, I think there's a really good point about, you know, doing a good, a solid script for, for video asynchronous sort of presentations. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing that I would add there is when you're writing your script for a video, you should, instead of focusing on cramming in every single detail of your decision-making and your thought process, um, focus a little bit more on like being natural. I think that's the hard yeah. part, right? Where like yeah. when I watch people's videos, sometimes it's, it's like they're talking to their grandma, right? It's like right, really formal. Right. It's very yeah. like structured and no one speaks like that. And I think like, yep. A, you need to make sure you fit it in within like people's attention spans, which is like, I don't know, three to four minutes or, or, yeah. or yeah, yeah. around that area of time. Um, but the other part is like when you're writing your script, you're not writing an essay, like you're writing, right. you're, yeah. you're trying to explain someone to someone and you're trying to convince them of something and it's not. A report, a report uh, you're writing about a book you read, right? Does that mm -hmm, make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. And what actually something that I find really useful for doing scripts for like, and this could be for presenting your work or for a presentation or for a video is anytime you're, anytime I'm writing a script, if when I actually get to that stage of wanting to do one, the thing that I find most beneficial is I will actually just like record myself like a quick time screen recording mm -hmm. of myself walking through the work as if I was presenting it without a script, like just naturally just like here, Bill, I'm going to show you what I'm working on. Yeah. Um, I'll start with that and then I'll throw that quick time video into something like Descript and have it generate out ca the whole captions. Like, you know how it'll do, like yeah. Descript will do that. There's many other tools that will like, just spit out whatever you said in text. Yeah. And then I'll copy that, all that raw text into a Google Doc and then just edit it. And you can like trim it way down and you right. can cut out any places where you're repetitive. Or if you like didn't quite string together the thought properly, you can rewrite it. Yeah. But that way it gives you a starting point of a script that is already more natural to how you speak. Right, right. Because right. you did it. You spoke it first. Yeah. Um, and in that way, I, I find, for me at least personally, I find it a way, it's way easier than st like staring at a blank Google Doc <laughs> and being like, what am I going to write here? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't find that natural personally. Like, I mean, if if you do, like, I think that's great. Like, start with with the script. But yeah. for me, like, not feeling comfortable in that space, I'm, I feel way more comfortable just like, Talking it out first, and then using that as the the base of my my script and editing. Yeah, that's a hot tip, man. I like that. Yeah, I mean, it it does make it it forces you to make it more natural, right? Because you're not mm -hmm. you're you, usually most people don't speak in a formal way, so yeah. it it yeah. <laughs> it might make more sense to start the other way around. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. I have to try that. I want to talk a little bit about indecision because. <laughs> Um, I think lots of designers are indecisive. I am like, I'll just like look at two things. and I'm just like, God, I don't know. 
I have no idea. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, yeah. I, I think early in my career, actually even just like as recent as like last year, I did this thing where I had no idea what was right. And then I went to leadership and I showed them like three different ways that we could do it. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end of that presentation, they're like, so which one is it? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me look like like uh, a little bit incompetent because I hadn't come in with a strong opinion. So I, I really learned mm-hmm. Uh, that you've got to come in with some sort of an opinion and some level of confidence. Um, I don't know how to like talk a bit more about this. Like I, I think maybe what it is, is it comes down to doing enough like back channeling with like peers and other designers to really yeah. help form your opinion before you go into that big presentation. Um, like how, how do you do this? Like how yeah. do you decide on like what opinion to have before you go into that presentation? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where this is a sliding scale, like a really great example of that, right? Like, I think it can be more okay to go in with a little indecision to like a smaller group. Like, I think that's the Mm -hmm. point of of design critiques or fresh eyes or if you want to call it within your own small team is that that's the space to, if you have, if you're in that state, that's the space to like, present it that way and be like, hey, mm-hmm. these are a few things I'm working on. I'm actually having a hard time deciding which is the best approach. Would yeah. love your thoughts. Like that's that's the perfect place to start with that. Because like you said, you shouldn't then you ideally should never go to kind of a leadership group with that type of approach. You should be able yes. like you should focus on getting that sorted out first within a smaller setting and then be able to go into a leadership review like that with more of the here's the opinion that we're going with. Um, and yeah, you can be, you should be still flexible to if they disagree or if it comes up in the conversation, like, Hey, what about this? You can also pull back on old, uh, other versions that you had and be like, actually, I did explore that thing too and show it. But I think starting with the strong opinion there is the best place to start, but you have to, you have to work your way up there. And if you can't get there by yourself, then that's exactly why we have processes like, design critiques and stuff to get that help yeah. from your peers. So let me, let, let's riff off of that because uh, the one anxiety that I have about <laughs> presenting <laughs> something with a strong opinion is what do you do when, let's say, like a, a group of leaders is looking at your work and your opinion mm-hmm. and they're saying, mm-hmm. we completely disagree. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I find it very difficult to be in that situation. I, I usually don't find myself in that situation because by the time I'm presenting it, They've yeah. all seen it before, but right. what do you, like, how do you react to that <laughs> nightmare scenario of like all three <laughs> leaders that you're talking to with like straight up? No, like, how do you react to that? Like, that's a hard one. I mean, it depends. I think it depends a little bit on sort of the relationship you can build up with those folks. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think you can build that up over time and you can kind of figure out how they, they work um, and how they think and, and go about this in a few different ways. Like, I think, the the simple answer um, in my mind is, and especially if you haven't built up a really strong rapport yet with those with those folks, is just like accepting the feedback and saying like, yeah, I appreciate your your feedback. I'll mm-hmm. I'll take this back to the team and we'll 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 uh, iterate on it some more and come back with another recommendation kind of thing. Yeah. Like I think that's that's the simple way to focus on it. Um, which can be like the reason I think that's sort of the starting point is like that's not ideally. The path to take. I think that's the path to take if you're just in a situation where you haven't built up strong level of trust or something like that, where you can 
ideally go to the next level, which is in my mind, something that I've done um, many times, especially as I built up that relationship. Like I can think of a few folks that I work with currently um, in, in the leadership group that I can do this with, but I will try to draw out of them what they're actually thinking um, mm. and the reason why they're saying no. Like I'll try to then flip it around and ask questions of like, okay, like that's great. Like, do you picture it like X or do you picture it like Y? Like, mm -hmm. and, and try to get them to help solve the problem with what they're thinking. Um, yeah. Like bring, draw them into the design process. Like instead of them just saying, right. no, I don't like that approach being like, okay, that's fine. But like, what do you envision for this thing? Or how do you see this? And mm -hmm. if you've built up that relationship, you should be able to then collaborate in that space and they can go like, well, I, I think it should be whatever. And they say it. And whether you agree or disagree with that at that point, that's fine. Like you can just drop that down and be like, okay, so-and-so envisions the solution as this. Right. And then you can go back and you can explore that. If, and I think it's important to try that even if you disagree with it. And then you can always come back for the round two and say like, hey, I explored your direction. This is what I found. This is maybe why it doesn't work or this is why it does work. And I actually agree with what you suggested. Um, but I think like if you can get to that stage, it's really helpful. But I think that takes time. I think that takes like building up a bit more of a relationship that you can do that in the moment. Um, yeah. 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 I, I completely agree. Like I think a large part of, presenting is the stuff you do before the presentation and uh if you've mm -hmm. done everything right the presentation itself feels a little bit uh, ceremonial right it's sort of like right. like a check mark right um right. but as you're saying you should have had the time before that key moment where you're building mm -hmm. up that relationship you're sharing your work you're doing all that back channeling as i like to call it um so yeah i, I guess it's that this is like pre-work the other thing about presentation for me, the other thing about presenting that I think is interesting is the idea of, so we talked about having an opinion before you go into a presentation. This is the solution that we're leaning towards and here's here's why, is also presenting the trade-offs where although mm -hmm. you're may, you may not show like every single iteration that you've been <laughs> through, you do want to like talk about the trade-offs. If, you know, if we did it, if we did something this way, this is what would happen. And if we did it another way, that's what, this is what would happen. And I think like, I, I, I call that due diligence. And I guess the challenge I have is like, well, what's the difference between showing different options and talking about trade-offs? Um, like, how, how do you think about this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think the trade-offs are more, are more critical when maybe you know of those opinions hmm. that like there might be other approaches and like you want to come in with why you think the approach that you're you feel strongly about is the best one yeah like i don't i don't know what what do you think about this like i i wonder if those trade-offs are important if this is the first time you're getting the feedback like i'd almost say like it, it you shouldn't um like if you've if you've never heard from the person that you're you're looking to get feedback from, if you have no idea what their opinion is, right? then coming in with the trade-offs isn't necessarily as important right. um, that you should start with your strong opinion. But if you know of, um, for instance, you know like 
so-and-so's has a strong feeling of like, this should be the solution, but you've went through it and you've determined that like, that's not the best. You have a, a better, you have a different idea. Then showing the trade-offs with that other exploration becomes more important in that conversation. Oh, I see. So you're talking about like, um, telling, explaining the consequences, right? Like, right. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, is that, is that what you were thinking too? Or are you thinking in a different way? Uh, no, no, I, I, I think you're right in that. Like maybe the first time you talk about ideas, I think it's, it's, I think the reason why, um, you don't want to show trade-offs immediately is that you don't want people to, to over, I mean, to judge the idea too quickly. I right. think that sometimes when you first see something, you're just sort of like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Right. Like, and I think that gut reaction is important. Um, and then that the next step is doing that due diligence and like tempering that reaction with consequences. Right. right. So I, I think that makes sense. Um, I, I don't know. I go back and forth yeah. on it. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess another place where I'm, I'm envisioning showing trade-offs, I think is more when you're, when you know, you're kind of pushing against what people would expect. Uh, um, hmm. Like, I think it's like, like an, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like one example I can think of is like, let's say you're exploring a pattern for, I don't know, how to how to bulk select a couple of items and then delete them or something or, or right. add tags to them, whatever. Um, and you design a solution for that and it follows like maybe a pretty common behavior that you'd see on, on let's say it's mobile. So it's like uh, iOS does this in many cases. So you you design it that way. Well, I don't think there's necessarily a lot of trade-offs to show there. So I think you can go in with your opinion, like I'm following a established pattern here. Yeah. There shouldn't be much debate, but like people may just give feedback on more of the nitpicky, like smaller items of that flow. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the flip side, if you're like, actually the way that iOS typically handles this doesn't work for this situation, I need something more custom. I'm going to design this a little bit differently. Then I think what you show in that presentation is like, Hey, here's the trade-off as to like versus what we would typically see for this thing. Right. And then I think it's important to show the trade-off in that sense. So it's like, it's almost like gauging the familiarity of your solution. Um, and if, it, if you're kind of pushing against the familiar pattern and you have good reason why, I think then you have to sh- like, you need, you should show, the trade-off because you should yeah. be like, here's the familiar thing we'd be used to seeing. Here's why that doesn't work in my mind. And here's what I came up with instead. And then you, the discussion can be focused on like, do we agree that this needs to be a custom solution or not? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good example um, because that's where showing trade-offs is communicating upwards that like, Hey, I've, we've considered these mm-hmm. options in, in great detail. And I think like once you, uh, you're communicating that you have done that due diligence, they're going to probably put a lot more trust in you to make the right decision because you, yeah. you've, you've done that due diligence on, on either side of it, right? Yeah. Um, no, I like that a lot. Yeah, I think, and I think that's the important part of if you are trying to come up with slightly more unique or custom solutions to different problems, like, and there are times when that you should do that and there are times where you shouldn't. But when the times that you are like, I think that is really important to show because you can't just go in, you shouldn't just go into those conversations and be like, Hey, here's how I'm going to do it. Here's my strong opinion because everyone's going to be like thinking about what they're used to seeing. Yeah. 
and you might get a more negative reaction versus like, hey, here's the problems I found with what we're typically used to seeing. Here's why I think something a bit more custom or even just slightly custom is going to benefit the experience. Yeah. And then you still might have people disagree and say like, well, yeah, I still actually think you get a lot of that out of the familiar experience. And then that's great feedback too. Yeah. Um, or you'll just bring those people on board and they'll build more trust into your ability to think a little bit more outside the, the typical approaches to things. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I hear uh, people come in to a presentation with strong opinions, uh, there's always this thought in the back of my head that like, I, mean, I, I try to do that too. I try to come in with like, sorry, not a strong opinion, but I have some confidence. I think that's, there's right. a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you, have you ever like either fallen flat on your face doing this or have you seen someone <laughs> yeah. fall flat, flat in their face? Because it, it's, it's cringe to watch, right? Like yeah. when you're watching, when you're just like uh, an audience member, it's sort of like, Oh God, I hope I never do that. But then like, has it ever happened to you where you just come in strong and then like you just completely fall on your face? Yeah. Like everyone disagrees and then they're yeah. all in, in agreement. And you're like, Oh man, like I missed the mark here. Yeah. 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 That ever happened to you? Yeah. It's happened. Yeah. It's definitely happened. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's in those times where I've probably tried to go a little bit too far with something really unique or custom. And it's like, yeah, I probably over-designed this. Um, and I don't know. I, I still find that that's valuable because that's the way that like the process that pulls the idea back into where it yeah. should be. I, I, I try not to take that too personally because it's like, yeah, maybe I did. I went too far. That's fine. Yeah. Like I would rather do that than not go, than just always play it safe. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a surgeon, but like, I think I, I can imagine like, <laughs> Let let's say I don't know. Let's talk about medieval medicine, right? There, there's a there's a point in time where we're just like, okay, I've got to make a cut, and I don't know if this is the right place to do it. So I've got to got to do something, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's gruesome. Maybe we'll cut that out. But uh, <laughs> but amazing. you're right. Like, uh, so I've done this all the time, where I'll make I'll take a stab at something. Sorry, that's gruesome too. But I'll take a stab <laughs> at something, and I'll just yeah. like completely miss the mark, and right. I'm totally okay with that because. That's what I'm yeah. here to do. I'm here to like the the more the more cu more cuts I make to something, and the more wrong I am, the more likely that the next time I'm gonna get it right. And I think like right. the more I do it, a I become a little bit less. I become a little bit more callous to someone mm -hmm. like telling me that I'm wrong, and also that I'm my instincts are gonna improve because if yeah. I keep following my instinct and my instinct is continuously wrong, I'm gonna course correct. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, sorry. That's a weird and gruesome explanation of, of <laughs> no, like why you need to take a stab at something, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's important to build up like like close relationships with other designers on your yeah. team too, that you can create like that trust between, right? I think this is something that you and I would do with each other quite a bit sure. um, when we were working together. Like, if I had something where I was like, oh, I think I'm maybe going too far with this, but I still think there's something interesting here. Like, I'll bring it to you first and be like, hey. Like, is this too far? Like, am I, is this too wacky? Um, and then you would either be like, no, I think, I think that's worth like pursuing or be like, yeah, this is probably a bit too far. Like, right. what about this? And then it was in a smaller setting where we had that built up trust that it's like, you're not going to think any differently of me for those ideas. Oh yeah, um, for sure. And then that gives me greater confidence in bringing it to the wider group. Um, just getting that early gut check, even yeah. if it's not the full feedback. It's like, at least I know I'm going into that. Even if then everyone disagrees with it, even at that stage, like I know I at least like 
um, got a little bit more of an opinion first. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'm probably the worst person to talk to because I love <laughs> all of your wacky ideas and I'm just going to be like plus one then. Like, I feel like, have you tried center stage on Ventura yet? Uh, no, I haven't yet. Oh, stage manager. Sorry. Um, oh, stage. Yeah. No, I haven't used it yet. Okay. I feel like stage manager, like, I think it's really cool. I think it's an interesting concept, yeah. but like, yeah. I feel like it was like a bunch of designers who were just like telling each other that it was like wacky, but we should just do it <laughs> because it's so unresolved. Right. So this right. is what happens when you're in this like little echo chamber of people that just want to push the boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, Oh yeah, this is cool. Let's, let, let's roll with it and ship it. Right. And they yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then they also did dynamic Island and a lot of people probably would have shot that down early too. It's true. That's true. So, yeah, there's some benefits you win to an some, echo chamber. You win some and you lose some when you're trying to go outside the box. Fair enough. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about fidelity. You know, the show's namesake. Um, I now you you always remind me of this. Just like there's a huge benefit to building a high fidelity prototype. Um, a it really it doesn't miss the mark around communicating. It's really clear. Mm-hmm. But like this is the thing that the user is going to experience. There's no like wireframe to get in the way there's no ambiguity about what it is if you you dial in all the content design you're dialing in the visual design it's really clear especially to leadership this is the thing that people are going to experience this is what we're going to deliver um, and i love that also i feel like it's easier to parse than a bunch of like wireframes um mm-hmm. i, I want to talk about this a bit more because i i feel the same as you that like having a really great prototype as part of your presentation is mm-hmm. a great way to save time, a great way to reduce ambiguity, and it's a great way to start conversation. Uh, I know you have a lot to say about this, so I'll let you <laughs> take it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it does exactly that, right? It, it communicates the idea a lot stronger than just showing a few frames side by side. And even, like, I know a lot of people will use, like, whether it's autoflow or something, to show little lines on when you tap this, it'll go here and and if you tap over here, it's going to go to this other spot. But you're still leaving, there's still an element of like leaving that up to interpretation mm-hmm. um, that I think like sometimes can get you into the wrong spot, right? I think sometimes people will see that. And especially if it gets really complex and you have lots of lines going everywhere and like all these different flows going in different directions, I think sometimes the reaction can easily be, oh, well, this feels like too much. Like, can yeah. we combine it all onto one screen or can we? like reduce the number of steps. And that might be that might be true, that might be right, but if you had done it in a prototype form, it it may like it may show that flow in a very different light where it maybe mm-hmm. doesn't feel as complex because maybe maybe if you designed with like proper progressive disclosure like in mind and stuff like that that sometimes a a five five screen five step flow can actually feel simpler than a single, than a one step flow and vice versa. Like it can go either way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I think without doing a prototype, even even just a, a very basic like Figma click through, you lose you lose the ability to communicate that effectively, um, and it can very easily move the the feedback in the wrong direction. Yes, because um, you haven't like you haven't really established that um, direction well enough and been able to like show why it works or why it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Uh- I don't. I don't know if you do this. I, um, I tend to avoid showing a click through live. Like if if it's live, I try to show a video clip because mm, I think the mm-hmm. the one thing you don't want, and and 
if you're very if you're really good with your prototypes and you're very careful, I don't want my prototype to break in the presentation. Right. So yeah. I tend to just pre-record yeah. it and just show the clip because that makes sense. It, I see it all the time where like yeah. designers yeah. be like, "Oh, my my prototype's broken." I'm like, what? "Right." just the worst right you yeah might- and then it, it almost does the reverse where like yeah. <laughs> then you get lost and like okay but where where do we get to why are we on this screen now like and it's, it doesn't feel clear like it loses it loses that clarity and it almost makes it worse at that point yeah, yeah i totally agree it's it's so you might have more confidence than me like if you're listening to this and you're just like oh no no like my prototypes are solid man like <laughs> nothing's gonna happen right yeah but i feel like um the reason why I think it's important to choreograph this by recording the video is that you want to portray this sense of confidence and mm-hmm. your prototype being broken during a critical time, yeah. uh, not a good look. And I think yeah. like as much as you might think it's a small thing, I don't think it is. I think it's like, it shows that like maybe it's more complicated than we think it is, right. but you're trying, I mean, I, th- I think like a good design is something that's simple and easy to under- understand but if if it's visually broken or just isn't like maybe you forgot to link two two different frames, mm-hmm. um, I think that's a look you want to try to avoid and easily avoidable yep. by just recording it. Because the goal yep. is not to have a perfect prototype. The goal is to no. communicate the design, right? And I think like that's yep. another plus one to like record the thing. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And I think one of the common misconceptions with prototypes is that like most people think, oh, it has to be it has to be something that I can send to the person they can click through on their own to get a mm-hmm. sense. Like I think sometimes that it is important. Um, yeah. There are places where that types of prototype should exist. But I, I think what you're describing is also a very important like usage of prototypes where it's like you're just communicating, you're com- communicating a green path that is important to just communicate like yeah. the solution you're trying to portray. And I think there's nothing wrong with that being in a, a video format where like they don't have the link, they can't click through on their own. And maybe it breaks if you click on the wrong thing very easily. Right. And like you have to follow this specific set of steps to make it portray it properly. But you're just using it as a communication tool at that point. Yeah. You're not using it to be like, here's the thing that the user is going to use. Um, try it out for yourself. Like that's yeah. not the type of prototype you're making. You're making just a communication tool. Exactly. Um, and when you think about it that way, that allows you to also make that type of prototype a lot faster because you're not having to account for all these like random edge cases that someone who's clicking through it on their own may fall into. You're yep. using it just to portray this exact flow in this moment that I need just to show the green path. Yep. And, I, and I think that there's a lot of cases where designers should be doing that more often. Um, and I think they shy away from because they think it needs to be all buttoned up perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's so easy to, to watch a bunch of YouTube videos about Figma and be like, oh, I've got to nail this, like, I, right. I got to do all the spaghetti strings and everything. And just like, man, I don't think it needs to be so so buttoned up as you call it, right? Like, I think no, no. I think it's sometimes smoke and mirrors. And uh, yeah, uh, and 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 the whole purpose of prototyping is is a lot of that. It's like you're not building the final result. So if you're spending all yes. kinds of unnecessary time on it, like you're doing the prototyping phase wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it should be something you can do quickly just for the sake of communicating an idea. Like I, you see, I see this lots of times. Like I'm, I think we're both in the, like um, the Facebook community group for origami. Um, and I see lots of people talk about how they'll just drop giant images into their prototype, <laughs> like, like flat images of the design and then oh, yeah. just manipulate one little piece of it. Like, 
and I don't do that enough myself. I tend to just rely on importing, but it, I like, I should more like there's places where just like drop a big, huge image in of the, the thing and then just build your prototype on top of that. You don't need all those layers there just because you might want to animate one of them. Like that's fine. Like just focus on the green path. Let me just say, I'm surprised to hear you say all this because your prototypes are so comprehensive. Like, (laughs) so I, for for the listeners, John and I were just before recording talking about a, a component that he made in Origami. It, it is comprehensive; like he's he's factored in everything. So um, it, it makes me feel good to know that you're human and that you're okay <laughs> with like baking in a, a flat PNG, right? That's kind of nice to hear. <laughs> I mean, it. I think it's it's what you're using it for, right? Sure. Like that's the most important part. Like I will put, I will put in the time or energy on certain prototypes, but it's where I know it needs to live longer term or like in that case, it's like, this is a component that I could probably put into our, our origami component library. So other people could use that's when it changes, right? Like then it's a resource, not a communication tool. Like if I was literally only needing to show that toast for communication only, I would have done it like in a fraction of the time with 10 times less effort because that's all I needed. But yeah, yeah, I think that's why it's always important when you go into prototyping is to establish what do I need this for and does it need to live long term? Because on the flip side, I have folders of like 15 origami files that are just like slight version changes of each other that are just like they're so, so like basic that if you open them up, you have no idea what was going on because <laughs> I just like hacked it together because literally just for like a one off like video that I need to just quickly record a screen cap of like, I can't go back into that file and edit it in any way because I don't know what's going on. Like, I think that's okay too. <laughs> like that's the opposite side. Well, you just described my entire workflow, John. Like <laughs> everything I have is broken, which is uh, yeah. glorious. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, origami, we, we could, we should talk more about it, but let's, let's get, let's get on track. Um, I know we wanted to talk about theatricality and, mm. um, I think about this one a lot because I think I once I was once told that you know if we're going to share our work we shouldn't spend too much time on it. It should be quick communication. Um and it should just be very concise, very clear. Don't spend too much time on it. But I you can disagree with me John, but I actually spend I think an appropriate amount of time and effort on my presentations that are asynchronous especially. And the reason why I think that's important is because Sometimes to be convincing, you need to portray or rather portray this like sense of um, a polish and that you considered everything and that you have high confidence. And sometimes that requires a little bit of theatricality. Let's define that though. Like I think theatricality Mm -hmm. is sometimes like maybe there's a little bit of background music in your asynchronous presentation. Maybe Mm -hmm. you're putting in the extra effort to transition between two different slides Let's say you're, I don't know, like um, you're, you're doing like a brief share of some user interviews that you've done, and there's like some video clips, like very clearly like annotating those and providing a little bit of subtitling. I, I think that plays into theatricality, and um, yep. maybe yeah, maybe maybe even theatricality is the wrong word. I think it's more like polish, and I think yeah. that polish can go a long way towards a being convincing and b like creating that sense of confidence that. Uh, your audience has in you. Can I yeah. trust the work that this person has done? 
Um, like, what, what are your thoughts on this? Like, how much time do you spend, like, you know, polishing your asynchronous videos? Like, I, I spend, sometimes yeah. I've spent a little bit too much time, I'll admit. But right. it's, it's paid off. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's important. Um, I think it shows that, like, what you said, the polish, the level of craft, the, like, the care that you put into your work, um, mm-hmm. not just the actual work itself, but like the way that you present it. Um, I think it shows that little extra level of care and attention. Like it's like the same idea as like just instead of dropping some screenshots into a, a generic slide deck template, you actually like take the time to make a nice slide template and then put the stuff into there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and like, or the something I love I like to do is like actually put mobile screens into devices, um, mm-hmm. like show them as instead of just screenshots without a phone around them, like put them inside a phone. Yeah. Um, Cause it just like, it adds that little extra layer of polish. And I think it just shows uh, that extra attention of, to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like you say, it can help make it more persuasive, but actually like I was thinking about it as you're saying that. And like, I wonder like, is there, is there like a, a risk to that? Is there a point where like by, being really good at showing it in that theatrical way, are you potentially getting away with a poorer solution? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Hot take. Like, what do you think? Like, Oh yeah. I, I think it happens all the time. Um, yeah. Like, okay, let's, let's talk about hackathons, right? Like I, I mm. was recently doing something for hackathon and I, I put hours into like this presentation video Mm-hmm. But when I think about the actual like design work, the actual product work that I did, it was like it's okay, right? It's not like, it, yeah, it, it's not going to blow you away. But I think it it was more for me the presentation of it because I think that's what gets the attention if you right. present it in a certain way. And I I think my goal is not to like sell the end solution; it's to sell the potential of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think to answer your question, yes, I think it can allow people to get away with doing the subpar work if you just like put a lot of effort into the presentation itself. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I just want more yeah. eyes on it. I want more people to pay right. attention. And if they want to say like, hey, this actually isn't that great, well that's great. Then I'm mission accomplished, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I was thinking about it in the context of um like you, you think about Apple's like keynotes and stuff, right? Where they definitely put in that extra layer of oh, yeah. theatricality and like it's it's a lot smoother than a lot of the other ones like I, I was watching I think did you watch the Pixel one the other day the Google one I did yeah like and like some of it just felt like it was good but like a lot like at times it just felt kind of stiff and not quite as well formed as like some of the way that Apple like puts definitely puts in an extra 10% yeah um and have for a long time like this was this was something that Steve Jobs started forever ago Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of companies now try to, uh, emulate, um, but I think it did actually, like there are, there are examples of them using that and sometimes they get made fun of for it, but to like overdo a solution that you're like, that's, that was pretty basic. <laughs> um, but it clearly works though at the same time. Like it, it's, it's like a branding thing. Like, it's kind of like when we were, like when we talked to Amy a few weeks ago and yeah. she was talking about the fact that like branding and marketing and stuff is that like it's the emotion side, um, and doing building that into a presentation can draw out that emotion side, that can make people get on board with 
ideas and directions on stuff, mm-hmm. even if it's simple or or like um, there there could be a better solution, but it was just presented in a way that was more streamlined and and drew out an emotion. And I think there is something to be said about that because clearly it works. Like it works for Apple. Like some of these oh, yeah. solutions, like some of the things that Google are doing, are way more complex or like better thought out solutions, but they just didn't present it well enough. That I agree. People yeah. are like, "Oh, I'm still going to grab the Apple device because it just <laughs> I liked the way they presented it." I don't know. Like, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Well, you're reminding me of like someone uh, that I, I can't remember who was critical about this on Twitter about Dynamic Island, and oh, it was it was Neil I Patel who was on the Verge, and he was talking oh, about yeah. like the videos that they were showing at the keynote about Dynamic Island. Uh, everything was so smooth and like right. there was motion everywhere, but it's yeah. the reality is not like that like dynamic island um it, it is well thought out and there's a lot of like mm-hmm. really cool like uh there's a lot of great motion happening but like mm-hmm. it's not moving in the same way that we saw in those key yeah it was videos, dialed right? up exactly yeah. and i think that's okay like yeah I don't think of that as like misselling it i think it's just it's an ideal and right eventually they'll probably get there. I know Apple is always continuously adding these little polish pieces into things that no one will probably notice. But I think the same of like when you're presenting your work, that you're presenting something very idealized. And that's why coming back to fidelity, it's okay to use smoke and mirrors. It -hmm. may not ship with this animation, but it's it's an ideal for us to strive for. You're seeing, you're showing what people, what that potential is, right? Um, I don't know, do you agree with that? Like, is is that, is that lying? No, I I think it makes sense. Like I'm just yeah, I'm I'm over here trying to think through it yeah. all and being like is there an element of it that that isn't the way to think to do it? But yeah. No, I think I think this makes sense and I think I think there's probably balance to it too. Like sure. I don't think you want to go way over the top. Like I think back to have you ever had this experience where like you have someone you you go to hire somebody, right, into your team um and they're or or maybe you know of people that are like this where they're like really good at interviewing <laughs> where they're just like really good at showing off their work but like when they get into it they're not as good as they come off in an interview and you're like oh interesting well buddy like you just described me like <laughs> no no not at all but like have you ever experienced that like i've definitely i know i can think of like certain situations where i've i've noticed that like sure. there's a there's a little bit of a disconnect between the person's ability to the interview well yeah. versus like actually pull off the work and there's maybe an element of that like crossing into that right um so Over i think song. there's a balance there's a balance to it yeah yeah but i think eventually people see through that so i don't think you can <laughs> i don't think you can like pull off a smoke and mirrors forever um, yeah if you aren't if you aren't actually thinking through the solution like i think you can yeah. only get so far i i Sorry, like I think you mentioned, like good at interviewing, and like I just, I just can't stop thinking about my own experience. Was <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, I mean, uh, yeah, it's true. Some people are really good at interviewing; they're good at selling, right? And right. I, I think of myself as being pretty, pretty okay at selling. But then, like, I don't know if I'm actually like what I sell myself as. Like, hard to know, right? Right. right. Until uh, <laughs> until I get fired. But um, <laughs> anyway, like I, I, I think that we. We're, I think we're in agreement that like you know some level of theatricality is helpful. Yeah, and you shouldn't stray away I, I think, from it. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it's there. Like I think it's important, and I think it, again, like I would go back to the fundamental piece of like it shows that extra level of care and attention to 
polish and to details that is really important in our in our work um and i think that element comes out and so i i I think it is important to do um and but i think there's also these like caveats that we've talked about and like there's that balance um scale of effort yeah 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 um so i think that's what we've got um if if you have any ideas or any like hot tips on how you've presented um, your, your design work to some success, share it with us on Twitter. We'd love to hear about it. I'm always trying to learn how to do this more efficiently and do it more effectively. So I'd love to hear more more tips on this. Now, John, Likewise. before I let you go, man, uh, a friend of mine told me the other day, and he, he's a listener of our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> told me that <laughs> I make the worst bets. And <laughs> 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 I... I want, I'm not sure about that. Like, I, I think I make some pretty okay bets. Like, I'm pretty uh-huh. sure at some point, we were, so we, John and I had this bet about like, oh, which Apple device is going to have the always on display. And I thought that it was going to be every single iPhone that came out. And then John said it, was, it would only be the Pro. And John was right. Yeah. Um, I thought, I don't know. I thought I had a pretty good chance of like coming <laughs> out on top of that one. Um, I'd love to test this. Okay. Do I make really bad bets? Right. So I, I'm going to let you go now. But I want you to think about another bet that we could take, uh, something okay. product related. I think just I want to okay. figure out if I'm actually bad at this. <laughs> you, you you obviously think I'm terrible at this, but like no, I don't. Uh, I don't think you're terrible <laughs> at it. I just think you've sometimes made bad bets, <laughs> like that one. <laughs> okay, well you think about it, but I okay, want the big one, it. man. I, I'm right. I'm I'm going to put a hundred bucks on this thing. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah? Okay, let's think about this. We'll come right, we'll next episode. We'll come let's set that bet up, man. All right, all right. Okay, Deal. thanks, Sounds John. Good. See you later, man. <laughs> See ya. The Fidelity Podcast is hosted and produced by John Rundle and Bill Chung. Visual brand design by Amy Deborah. Rate, review, and subscribe to Fidelity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts.